0: systems, ESBC, betting, podcast, college football, NFL, and the purpose of this podcast from the beginning has been to make me money, right? So the people with the best information wins. We're sitting on the Scott and BR uh, podcast and we got together some guys to talk about football. 80% did not know what they were talking about. One guy who did know what he was talking about is the PhD of the Philadelphia Eagles that every time he came on, I'm like, damn, this guy's making sense. So I stopped researching the Eagles and listened to what this guy said. And he, he made me a lot of money. Now we got this podcast that's blowing up fast forward four years. Brandon, first the PhD of the Philadelphia Eagles. Thank you so kindly.
1: Thank Speaking you. Uh, it's
0: time and uh, going head on this venture. That uh, it's extraordinary uh, what we've been able to accomplish so far, but it peels in comp- in comparison to what the future holds.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, just excited to, you know, get get down to some games this week and uh, you know make some money watching sports. What I'm all about.
0: Right. What were our percentages uh, this week?
1: Um, you, why don't we send it over to Brianna while I pull those up, if you don't mind? Sorry. I remember, man. We, uh, we did
0: 74% NFL, and we were in the high 60s, massive profit college football. Uh, yeah, no. we were. I remember doing it, and we were... I know I was 66%. I think we went with my picks last week and we were 74 NFL. So if you put in that those everything together and then you go with uh, you know I sent a message to Governor Newsom's office not to not to adjudicate and not to blame Brianna Winter for adding to the fires cuz uh she's been 100% in flames on, on the baseball picks she's been giving me. So she's made me money. So Brandon First, PhD of the Philadelphia Eagles have made me money. And Brianna Winner, the Winner Circle has made me money and she continues to make me money. Thank you, Brianna.
2: You're welcome. Again, and, if I could uh, get that- Yes,
0: connections with Hollywood, Hollywood royalty. No. And we would. <laughs> and we would, We'll, we'll, we'll tell you about that later, but we're going to start in this crazy year, pandemic year, uh, a lot of craziness going on, and uh, USF is going to be in the midst of it, so I'm going to brag about our uh, cancer center that's really helped with uh, the COVID-19 as far as USF is concerned, but Brianna Winter, uh, when the Pac-12 comes on, then she'll have uh, double and triple duty. But for now, she has the North Carolina Tar Heels and uh, she has North Carolina and the Georgia Bulldogs. Those dogs will hunt in between the hedges, hedges in beautiful Athens, Georgia. And my guy, I love him, Curry Smart. What's so- going on with those Tar Heels and what's going on with those Bulldogs?
2: Well, starting with the Tar heels. Obviously last week they defeated the Syracuse Orange 31 to 6 covering the over 24. But this week they were scheduled to face the Charlotte 49ers, which has since been canceled due to COVID-19. Three of the members of the 49ers tested positive over the last two weeks, and this includes one from this past Monday out of the 200 that were tested within the school's athletes, coaches and staff members. And as of Monday, the 49ers have administered 3,150 tests for student athletes, coaches and staff since June 10th and has only reported a total of 20 cases. That player ended up testing negative two days later but has to stay in quarantine for the 14 day period, obviously resulting in the cancellation of the game. And coach Mac Brown stated that they're very disappointed that they don't have a chance to play this weekend but they completely understand and appreciate Charlotte's transparency. Hopefully everyone is affected is okay, and we wish them the best as they move forward through the season. The team already had a bye week schedule for next week, so the next game isn't going to be until October 3rd against Boston College. And going to Georgia, as of a few days ago, quarterbacks JT Daniels and Dewan Mathis are still rumored to be in a heated competition for that starting position. Mathis at this time is projected to win the, that job. But Daniels has yet to be cleared from his ACL tear that sidelined him at USC following their season opener last year. So um, it will be a game time decision, but Coach Smart said that Daniels continues to get practice. And if the staff didn't feel like he would be cleared, he wouldn't be getting any reps in. And aside from the quarterback position, there is still one more that is in the middle of a competition, the starting position, right tackle. There are three in the mix. And as of now, none of them have taken a, lead so obviously that's also going to be most likely a game time decision and but there's still another week before their official game their first official game against Arkansas so everything should become even clearer in the next week and that's all I've got for the reports for those two teams
0: very good very good now Rihanna uh, very smart person what are your thoughts on the teams you're covering in college football as far as COVID-19?
2: I mean, obviously there are still a lot of precautions that are needed to be taken. Um, We have seen schools have to cancel events like Charlotte or just postpone everything. Like everything was prior to Big 10, Big 12 making their announcement with Pac-12 possibly doing the same thing. Um, obviously the player everybody's safety is the first prior is the number one priority. So um, they're gonna take safety over winning games, which is obviously what Charlotte did. They just want everyone to stay healthy, stay clear. That way they can play the season. But if not, then they just care about their players at this point.
0: Now the the way I look at it, and before I say I I'd say the way I look at it. Uh, Doctor, first, what are your thoughts on what's going on, kids? It's very important to the betting because, uh, like, it's like an injury, right? It affects things. What are your thoughts on uh, college football and COVID nineteen?
1: Well, I think we're in a situation now where um, kids are, you know, it's not just the athletes that are on campus. You got the, um, you know, general pop, if you will, uh, coming back to school um, and just you know, piggybacking on that on my report, uh, Florida had situation like that. If they would have been playing this weekend, they would have had to cancel a game. Um, and a lot of this is, like I said, coinciding with um, kids coming back to school. And also, from what going on, what um, Brianna's report had to say, it, it sounds like there is a large amount of um, false positives, or, or or things to where you, you test positive and then you know three or four hours later you take two tests and it's negative. So what does that mean? Is that a false positive? Does that mean you lost it into? I mean, we I saw it firsthand at least, not maybe not firsthand, but with the Padres a couple of weeks ago, uh, Alex Dickerson apparently tests positive, they lose two games, and it turns out, oh well, no, he's actually had like five negative. Test right after. So, what does that mean? But yes, precaution is the number one name of the game. Um, but I mean, at some point, uh, we 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 got to come out and uh, f- face face the music at some point. But um, we we will see. Uh, obviously, that the health is first and foremost.
0: Uh, yes, and the way I look at it is, I remember when I uh, went to the Pointer Institute for Journalism. They said you were in journalism because truth is uh, far stranger than fiction, anything um, you can make up, all right? And I have a friend that's worked for five NFL front offices. And I remember when a guy like Mike, uh, Malcolm Glazer, one of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, used to come into the restaurant uh, he he owned the franchise Callahan's and I would ask him for best practices, right? Uh, <clears throat> I got my MBA after the restaurant to see what the hell happened. <laughs> and uh, it's all about best practices. And I worked for Verizon corporates about best practices, but in the NFL, every team does their own thing. There's no standard, right? And that's what's going on Now, now, it's like Will Mushamp said that the most organized teams are the ones that are going to do the best. So conferences can't get in alignment to what the best test is. So now the Harvard test has come on where everybody can get tested every day. Now, Coach Scott came on the alumni meeting, and he was saying that, Other coaches in the conference are envious of USF because we have four hospitals around. And that was a lie and gaslighting, right? Because they said in the beginning that Stanford was going to be the hub for the Pac-12, Vanderbilt for the SEC, blah, blah, blah. And you would think that would be right if they were organized, but they're not, right? So now we have a situation where everybody's going to play. You got the Harvard test. Coming on board now, uh, when you know in 15 minutes whether you have COVID 19 or not. And it's not the end all be all, you still have to take another test. But it allows teams to play. But that's the thing common sense isn't too common. Not everybody's using the Harvard test. Why not? I don't know. Uh, the NFL's doing its own thing, Major League Baseball's doing its own thing. I think everybody should have a bubble like the NBA, but Major League Baseball, and uh, I think the NFL isn't in a bubble either. Uh, NHL is, and uh, MLS is. So, uh, our job is not to make the decisions, it's just know what those decisions are, because people with the best information win, and the more information we have, the higher percentages, we get uh, making decisions on these games in order to monetize them, you know? So that's my take on COVID-19 and USF is fine. A lot of guys opted out, but USF gets tested twice a day and the hospital is less than a mile from the practice field. So the doctors go to the field every day and test the team. They don't even have to go anywhere. So they're, they're good to go. As far as being organized, like Will Musham says, the teams that are more organized are the teams that are going to do good and better in COVID-19. So that's, that's my two cents on COVID-19. So what is going on with the Florida State criminals? And those Miami Hurricanes—it's all about that You.
1: I have Florida State in Florida, but um, for Florida, oh yeah, that's State, right, my bad.
0: i have the Hurricanes.
1: Yeah, for Florida State, uh, obviously. Look, um, when you when team when the schedules come out for teams and they get kind of that early season bye, especially this year, they're not uh, very happy with that. But for Florida State, it might actually be the best time for a bye week. Obviously, last week Georgia Tech. Um, came into Doak Walker stadium, 20% capacity. Um, there were obviously fans there. There was a nice little screenshot in the fourth quarter. It seemed like every, every person had uh, worked their way inside the twenties in terms of the fans. I don't think they were really too worried about uh, staying six feet apart, but you know, Hey, that's their right to uh, do what they want to do. And um, they watched their team give up 13 unanswered points and um Georgia Tech shocks Florida State, 16 to 13. Like I said, Florida State was favored by 12 points. Um, I fully expected the under, which we got easily. Um, I, did, I also expect Georgia Tech to cover. I did not expect them to win, obviously. Um, the scary part for Florida State is two things, actually. is Look, you give up over 400 yards to a Georgia Tech team that's transitioning away from the wishbone, so you would expect some growing pains in that case. Didn't really happen. Um, outside of one thing, Asante Samuel Jr., who I talked about kind of in the beginning of this, uh, when I started talking about Florida State, he comes up with two interceptions that if he doesn't get those interceptions, uh, this is a, a much bigger, this is probably a 31 to 13 victory for Georgia Tech. Um, and it's it's kind of the similar situation that they dealt with, with Willie Taggart, tons of uh, uh, talent out there, but they're just not buying in. Um, there was obviously a, a back-to-basic situation. Now, during this bye week, is the, um, they have this bye week, and then next week they will face uh, rival University of Miami. And the quote that I picked out from Mike Norvell was, quote, came out today, almost had a camp-style practice. We already started our preparation as a coaching staff on Miami, but truly, this week is all about us. So, you know, this kind of tells you Right now that they, um, A, obviously didn't expect to be in this situation, and B, they need to reassess. This is kind of maybe not a players-only situation, but definitely a situation where everybody's job is on the line. Um, And we will see here in a week um, what the answer will be. By that time, Miami, of course, will have already played two games as we will get to one of their games a little bit later Uh, this weekend. But that will be interesting. And moving on to Florida, um, the Gators are still a week away, uh, eight days away, if you will, from uh, their opener against Old Miss. But kind of piggybacking on what we talked about with COVID um, earlier is six positive tests on the football team. Now, um, seven, there were seven that came back positive. One was found out to be a false positive. There were 230 tests that were given out. Um, so like I said, only six positives sounds kind of crazy, but out of 230, not that much. Now I also coincided, alluded to it earlier, how it coincides with the return of students onto campus. Um, and compared to the, uh, lacrosse and baseball teams, uh, those were the ones that were hit especially hard. You can also throw the women's soccer team in there as they had to actually postpone their opener that was supposed to happen this weekend, um, because of that. But for now, all systems are go for Florida. Um, but look, let's face it, if they were ready to play tomorrow or they, it, was, it was scheduled for tomorrow, you would have to imagine out of precaution and what we've seen with everybody else that they would have um, postponed it. Obviously, that's not the case. So if they can stay um, down to zero or very little, whatever they got to do, then we will see Florida Gators football next week against Old Miss um, that will be in Oxford, Mississippi. But that's all I got um, from Florida State and Florida.
0: Yeah. Uh, Florida State, Willie Taggart was the head coach of uh, the USF Bulls for four years, which I am an alumnus of. Followed the team closely. And Willie Taggart is a phenomenal recruiter, right? That's why he got the big bucks to go to Oregon and Florida State. However, he, even though I think when you're talking about running backs, he's a genius judge of talent. And He's a genius coach with running backs. Uh, he, Gephardt, right? remember that guy, he should've won the Heisman Trophy at Stanford. He recruited him and he coached him up, should've won the Heisman Trophy. He goes to uh, Western Kentucky. He gets a couple of guys in the NFL. He goes to USF. He gets Marlon back in the NFL. And I always thought, I mean, minority opinion, but I have it on record. I think Dearness J- uh, Johnson, who plays for the Cleveland Clowns, uh, is just as good as running back as Marlon back. And his body's more built for the NFL to endure. He recruited and coached those guys up, and they're in the NFL. But he's horrible defense. The only, out of the four years, the only year that the the Bulls had a defense that wasn't a matador was when Tom Allen, the head coach, current head coach of Indiana, was the defensive coordinator. And even then, um, that's one of the reasons I love Coach Allen. It used to be Coach Allen screaming, crying on the sidelines to get that big stop. It was all effort and coaching. So Willie Taggart, uh, four years at USF, right? And even that year, Tom Allen, that defense wasn't good. He goes to Oregon. The defense is horrible, right? You have to bring in Jim Levitt, uh, middle of the year. Jim Levitt's a former head coach at USF. Then he goes to Florida State and stinks it up on defense for two years, right? I think he's a horrible judge of talent when it comes to defense. And his track record, as good as it is with running backs, is bad defensively. So the fact that maybe Norville doesn't have the right pieces on defense, uh, you know, again, he – Taggart – Dick Tomey saved Taggart at USF. He was going to get fired the same way he got fired at Florida State and Dick Tomey, the former head coach at Arizona, who's friends with the current uh, AD at Utah, came in as the consultant and revamped the USF program, or else Tagger would have been fired. There's no Dick Tomey over there at Florida State. So I think uh, that program is probably a disaster right now. And then you look at the results, right? They get beat by Jeff Collins. And his meteor just goes up. All he does is win, man. I got to give credit for it. For results, I love their hype video. I have it on my Twitter. So the Georgia Tech. And that's a tough place to recruit, right? The Yellow Jackets. And then Florida, it's interesting. uh, USF did not get any state money or as much state money as Florida State or... uh, Miami or Florida, because even though we had top five cancer hospital in the world, we did not have a medical school. So I personally and every single USF alumni has to thank thank owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Jeff Vinnick, for buying USF a medical school. And now we have as much money as the other schools in the state from a, a state uh, level. So it's interesting uh, when you talk about COVID-19. Uh, when you talk about COVID-19 and the management of Florida as a USF alum, uh, I laugh at that, you know, and uh, I think Jeff Vinnick, a billionaire, the man wrote a $500 million check to pay for our medical school. And uh, we're going to have a medical school medical school than those guys and right now we're beating them as far as managing COVID-19 but the Gators very organized they have a they actually have a very good uh, medical school remember they invented Gatorade (laughs) Uh, no but they have a very prominent world renowned uh, medical school but that's the thing right Uh, those Stanford has a renowned school Vanderbilt has a renowned school they but, but just because you have a renowned school has not translated to success in managing COVID-19. The PAC-12 is not even playing. So again, truth is more stranger than fiction. So right now we're going to give you 10 picks for arbitrage. We use business and financial concepts, right? And I'm going to get the book in a second to read arbitrage exactly what it is. And Dr. First is dialed up 10 picks, I looked at him, and I'm like, man, uh, I can't disagree with anything this guy's saying. So uh, we look forward to this. We look forward to uh, getting at least eight eight of these games right, seven or eight games. So we're going to go through uh, 10 games for you right now. Doctor first.
1: Yeah, so the first one uh, we got on tap for you is going to be at Boston College at Duke. Duke currently uh, six-point favorites. The over-under is 51-and-a-half. And, you know, starting with Boston College, they're making their 2020 debut, uh, you know, against a team I, they feel they can beat in the ACC. Uh, there's obviously a new uh, new head coach, Jeff Hafley, who last year was the Ohio State uh, co-defensive coordinator, and he's been a, in the NFL as a longtime position coach. So he has that pedigree as well. Um, this is kind of a long process that, uh, getting the talent up to kind of the ACC level. Um, but look, he, he's he been expected to bring talent in, and that's exactly what he did with uh, Notre Dame transfer Phil uh, Jerkovic. And he's going to be the one ready to go. Um, the entire offensive line is only has 65 career starts, but by far is the best group on this team. Uh, that's probably a good place to start. Defensively, uh, they're bringing nine players back But um, it's still, you know, not a ton of talent, but there is experience there. Uh, Halfley's going to get this team better, uh, good, sooner rather than later. Um, For Duke, obviously, look, they um, got dominated, but had pretty easy um, cover for us as they lost 27 to 13 to number 10 Duke. Um, The Blue Devils uh, covered easily, like I said. David Cutcliffe will need definitely more consistency from quarterback David Bryce, who only went 20 for 37, only 257 yards. Um, and if you're going to get that type of production, you're going to need more than the 75 yards the Blue Devils were able to um, get on the ground. Um, so the talent drop is obviously immense when you go from Notre Dame to Boston College. Um, so I do expect Cutcliffe to find some points here, um, but it, it's it's going to be it's going to be difficult. I think the biggest thing is going to be the talent disparity. Kind of going from, um, you know, Notre Dame last week to now Boston College, maybe a little bit of a confidence boost for some guys. Or conversely, some of these guys maybe um, go the other way with it. Myself personally, um, I like Boston College. Take six and a half plus six and a half by yourself on the half point just to make sure you're you're okay there. If you're feeling really froggy, this isn't the worst money line in the world. I'm not going to tell you to do it because I'm not going to do it. But um, plus six and a half, I feel pretty good about. I think this is about a field goal game written all over it. Um, so um, in terms of the over under, I think this is too much for two struggling offense. I did talk about Cliff, or Cutcliffe might be able to put up some points. I mean, more than 13. So that, that, they're going to definitely need to put up uh, plenty more to get over that number. Because like I said, I really don't know if Boston College's offense, especially with their first game. Um, so yeah, I like Boston college plus six and a half, um, and, uh, under 51 and a half. Yeah. That under seems safe, uh, observing football
0: teams, you know, putting offenses together to at at first glance, unless, uh, this guy from, uh, Boston college is a genius, which he might be. He is a smart man. It's a coaching mismatch. You got to, what in my mind is a Hall of Fame coach who played last week, right? So the biggest improvement that a college football team makes is from week one to week two, right? Because they say, I never believe anybody, right? Law of the DTA, don't trust anybody. But coaches say, and I've heard them say this privately, that you really don't know what you got until you see it on the field, right? Or maybe they're cynical contrarians like we are. You don't believe it until you see it. And the biggest improvement you make is from week one to week two, and we won every single bet last week. We monetized it, uh, betting teams who had played the week before versus teams who had not, right? So Duke not only played, they played uh, Notre Dame, and 95% of people lacked the capacity to change. Brian Kelly changed, man. He used to be an offensive guy. Now he plays a defensive game. He uh, does not put the defense in bad positions. He, he pays over a million dollars now for a defensive coordinator. He's got a great uh, defensive coordinator with, and that's a big thing now with Ohio State, right? Ohio State, Notre Dame, except for USC, right? That's a big gripe with USC. They got the money, but they're not paying. USC is not paying. A million dollars for defensive coordinators. Ohio State is, and this guy was making a lot of money on that staff, all right? Uh, So Ohio State's paying that big money for that defensive coordinator, and so is Notre Dame. So uh, the defense is going to be easier to navigate for Duke this week, but it's a conference game, right? And those tend to be close, and Duke is a developmental team. It's hard to get into t- Duke, even though the University of South Florida has the same accreditation as Duke. They tell us to say that in the alumni. So the same accreditation USF has, the same Duke has. It's tough school, right? But that's why uh, now if I applied to USF with the grades in SAT, uh, they would immediately call security to kick me out of USF. <laughs> uh, it's a tough school to get into. So it's a developmental Program that means that they don't cover spreads and they don't blow people out, so they're happy to leave uh, and beat Boston College 17 13. Control the game, protect their defense, and uh, cut left. I'll give him credit though, he's marketed the program at Duke as quarterback. You right? He's the guru for the Payton family, and he got uh, Daniel Jones with the giants who got him in the NFL and they're grooming this quarterback to do the same. So they, they're, they're designing the offense to be very heavy on the quarterback. Right. So whatever defense you're in, it's wrong. He's going to be able to read it and get his team in the right play. So yeah, I see Duke winning. I don't see them covering and I see this game going under.
1: Perfect. Uh, Next up is Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, They are taking on uh, Georgia State. And this is an interesting one. Obviously, last week, Louisiana Lafayette beat uh, Iowa State in their biggest win since Jake DeLome was uh, patrolling the sidelines in 1996. Um, It was a a very impressive win um, on a special team side of things. They they, they had some really uh, great – Uh, special team play in that game for this one for me the current line is uh 15 and a half for um for louisiana lafayette uh the over under is 57 and a half uh first for louisiana lafayette last year um it was um billy napier is the head coach and last year they go 11 and three unfortunately they were only nine and five against the spread so you can kind of tell there were a little bit of um Maybe a bit of overinflated lines, I think, later on in the year um, when they were catching fire a bit um, and getting a, a big lines like I think we're seeing here. The offensive line does have 106 career starts. Um, they also have seven starters elsewhere on the offense. So that is something to look at. Um, Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator who was very influential on this team last year, he's moved on to Baylor. So something to keep an eye on there. Um, he improved this defense. He, he got there in 2017. Uh, 2017 was 40 points per allowed a game. Uh, 2018 was 34. And then 2019 was down to 19 points a game. 19 in college football is, is really good. Um, so that was very, very interesting. Um, but I think Louisiana Lafayette, their defense is not going to miss a beat with the new defensive coordinator, Patrick Toney. Um, he's been the safeties coach for the last two years. Um, And look, let's be honest, they completely shut down Bryce Purdy. Uh, He went 16 for 35, 145 yards and a touchdown for a guy that is listed on my bookie with odds next to him to get into uh, the Heisman conversation. So not some scrub or anything, uh, a really good player. For Georgia State, um, they not only begin against a conference contender, but a team that's coming off, obviously, their biggest win Head coach Sean Elliott is in his fourth season. Um, I look at redshirt freshman Cornelius Brown. He's the quarterback. He's obviously, look, a redshirt freshman. You're going to have your bumps along the road. He does bring back or does have seven of the eight top pass catchers returning. And he um, will have to be in the backfield with fellow uh, rookie uh, running back Destin Coates who had seven touchdowns last year in a uh, backup role. I'm looking at Nate uh, Fuqua, who is the defensive coordinator and outside linebackers coach. Kind of wonder sometimes maybe they spread themselves too thin when they become a position coach as well. Uh, frankly, the last three years, it has not been good. We don't have any money,
0: right? That's the problem.
1: Yeah. Um. Exactly, and uh, and it hasn't been good. You know, 24 points per game in 2017. That's respectable. The last two years, it's gone up to 37 and 36. So that's where that goes. For me, I like Georgia State plus 15 and a half. They're going to cover. I think there's all, also a greater chance that Georgia State targeted a team like Louisiana Lafayette. I think there's zero chance Louisiana Lafayette targeted Georgia State. So keep that in mind. Um, they're not going to open up the playbook. Um, I also think they're going to struggle to keep the score. Georgia State is going to struggle to score to keep the total north of 57. So I like the under as well.
0: Yeah, now uh, these are two programs uh, that I've followed. And you got Napier, who coached with Todd Graham, who's now the head coach at uh, Hawaii. He's from that area. Uh, the man put two offensive linemen in the NFL. And uh, you talk about head coaches, right? He, 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 he worked his way up, right? He earned his spot. and He's done a great job with roster management. You put two guys in the NFL, and then you come back the next year with 106 starts on that offensive line. They covered a lot of lines last year controlling the game, all right? Now, Sean Elliott is one of my favorite guys, right? Because he doesn't care if he's the underdog. Uh, well, the number one reason I like him is because man, he has such a great attitude. That guy is so positive. That guy, uh, if he was a minister, you would not take your wallet to the church because you would have no money left. He, his claim to fame was recruiting those great classes for Steve Spurrier at South Carolina when uh, South Carolina won 10 games, 10, went three years winning 10 games. That program had n- never done that. And Sean Elliott was the offensive line coach and recruiting co- coordinator for Hall of Fame National Championship winning Heisman Trophy winner, Steve Spurrier. He goes to Georgia State, goes to Tennessee, and he wins last year. It's that attitude, all right, it's, it's, it's that mentality that he has. Uh, because they're limited, they have to run that wishbone, ham bone, run the ball. Uh, Nick uh, Saban has 40 assistants, right? One of the assistants uh, in the last few years is Charlie Weiss, Jr., the offensive coordinator for USF. So, he like uh, Dr. saying, everybody has to do double duty. And, man, you're talking about a guy, John Elliott, who's a Steve Spurrier guy. Uh, like Dr. First says, he's going to be ready for this game. With the top people in the conference uh, who covered last year, I don't think you're going to be able to cover two years in a row against Sean Elliott, who went down to Tennessee and got that big win last year. You know, and I'm sure Steve Spurrier was smiling because Steve, Steve Spurrier was from Tennessee, and uh, the Tennesseans said that he betrayed Tennessee by going down to Florida and winning a national championship, or actually he won the Heisman Trophy as a player there. So he always said, you know, you can't spell – Uh, The Citrus Bowl without uh, the I and the T, right, for Tennessee. So it was a big win for Sean Elliott, a great win for Coach. And Sean Elliott is going to be very enthused on that sideline. So I'm going to figure out a way to watch it, to see Coach Elliott running up and down those sidelines and covering the spread and keeping this game under.
1: Next up is uh, Navy and Tulane. Obviously, for Navy, uh, Labor Day, absolutely shellacked by BYU, 55-3. to um, Obviously, one of the biggest concerns has to be the run game. Both sides, they give up over 300 yards to BYU. They only rush for 116 yards, which, look, if you know anything about Navy, 116 yards should be about a half, probably even a quarter more than likely. Um, that obviously didn't happen. The one thing I will say when it comes to Navy, um, you can you can question the fortitude of a lot of these student athletes. Um, and look, let's be honest, they're 18 to 23 year old kids uh, under a lot of pressure. Not a lot of us were emotionally mature at that age. But for these guys, I mean, Navy, you got to kind of imagine these kids are wired a little differently. I expect um, uh, an answer here to for Tulane last week. They um, they needed a. Interesting fourth quarter to beat South Alabama. Um, They got the win, but for two teams that really underperformed, obviously one was a little more underperforming than the other, especially in the win column. But I always like kind of the dog that lost or in this situation, I guess. Well, it is a dog, but the team that lost, uh, it's more of a kick in the ass, I believe, rather than a game where, You know, you don't play your best, but you still win. I think there is maybe a bit of a false confidence there. Navy, there's nothing good that came out of that for Navy. And um, once again, I go back to these coaches are the nicest people that they have to deal with at the Naval Academy, I would assume, you know, considering professors and drill sergeants and stuff like that. So I expect a big answer from Navy. The line is Tulane, the home team, favored by seven and a half, the over-under is 49. I like Navy to cover the seven and a half. Um, in terms of the over-under, I, um, I like under 48. Buy yourself down. 49 is a bit of a magic number when it comes to over-unders. It's three or four, touch- it's seven touchdowns total. So, you know, 28, 21, something like that. So I'm going to bet that down. I will say, look, I'm, I'm not terribly confident about this. Uh, we're going to give you 20 picks overall, 10 games over under. I'm going to bet about 10 of them. This will not be one of them in terms of the over under. I am going to bet Navy um, if we are, of course, on the consensus here. Um, but the over 48, I'm not terribly um, competent in it. It's a It's a low number, but this is going to be probably outside of the Commander-in-Chief trophies, one of the heaviest run games. Tulane runs the ball a lot, and obviously Navy does as well. What do you think, Josh?
0: You know, I, I agree. Willie uh, Fritz, he, he runs that wishbone. It's funny because it reminded me working, uh, you know, tutoring football players. And I remember when uh, Jim Levitt, who's now the defensive coordinator at FAU, he was a defensive coordinator at Oregon, head coach at USF, uh, comes in and says, oh, you know, USF, they, what they did in those days is just run, run, run. He says, we're, we're going to switch to the run and shoot. I'm like, oh, the running shoe, we're going to throw it everywhere. No, it's a ball control <laughs> type of running shoe. The, the quarterback wasn't allowed to throw it more than five yards. So, Willie Fritz is scrapping the running shoe, uh, the, the wishbone for another type of run offense. I don't, I don't see them really changing because they can't. You can't overhaul a program like that in a year. Maybe he will be more balanced, but it'll take a few years to get those players in there, but Willie uh, Fritz the guy who won at the lower levels, he worked his way up. Uh, he's he's got this program. He's built it well. Uh, Louisiana is a top five state in recruiting. So he he goes uh, three and nine, four and six, five and seven, seven and six, seven and six. Very steady progress in an impossible situation, right? Uh, New Orleans is the 63rd TV market. It's extremely poor, crime-ridden area. So for him to be able to build that program, get it to be a winning program, has you know has a strategy. Hey, we're not going to run the Richland anymore. We're going to overhaul the offense. Uh, man, it's a great coach. Napolitano is a great coach. Biggest improvement is from week one to week two. So I I completely see this happening and it's kind of it reminds me of the duke boston college thing in a way uh where there's gonna be i don't i don't think navy will beat willie fritz because it's gonna be tough to beat willie fritz at home and navy's a developmental program that they're breaking in a lot of new guys but 7.5 it seems like vegas covering their ass <laughs> what number so we're gonna be in business with vegas and dial up, Navy, and I'm going under actually, under 40, 48. Uh, this is a pandemic, right? So, conservative guys are going to be even more conservative in a pandemic. So, there's going to be a lot of running, uh, and there's not going to be a lot of chances being taken. And this is a conference game. Uh, this is the AAC, and right now, it seems like the, the winner of the AAC will get the New Year's Five Bowl, right? Because the Pac-12 might not play at all. So that bowl spot is gonna be wide open for the AAC to take it. And believe me, even though both programs are not supposed to win the AAC, uh, these guys are great coaches, guys that won championships. They're just not gonna hand the title in the first week of the season. Right, And they're going to make sure they do their best in conference. So it's going to be a very tight, uh, well-played game. A very tough, hard-nosed, very fundamentally sound uh, game. So I see Navy covering it under the, the 48.
1: Perfect, perfect. Next up is going to be Syracuse and Pittsburgh. Um, obviously, last week we saw... Syracuse faced uh, North Carolina, North Carolina dominating the game um, and actually barely covering. Uh, it was 31-6 to 6 was the final. I think it was a 24-point spread. They beat them by 25. Um, but this is going to be another really tough test for Syracuse, probably even stiffer, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, keep an eye on uh, defensive backs, Paris Ford and Demar Hillman. Uh, they're both returning last year. Uh, they combined for four ints and 21 pass breakups last year. And if that wasn't enough, you also talk about Patrick Jones and Jalen Twyman, who um, they're 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 a nightmare for quarterbacks. Uh, Jones had eight and a half sacks and 18 quarterback hits, while Twyman had uh, 10 and a half sacks. So look for Pitt to rely on that dominant defense, play the ball control game. Now, currently the line is, sorry, uh, 20, 21 and a half with the over under being 50. I I really do believe Pittsburgh is going to struggle to cover these heavy, heavy scores or heavy lines, I should say. Um, But what I'm going to do here, I really do think that Pittsburgh wins this game by three touchdowns. I'm going to bet a full point down, um, get myself 20 and a half. I think Pittsburgh could win this game uh, and shut this team out. Um, I I really actually like Pittsburgh. I think they could possibly be one of those teams. Uh, I know Notre Dame's going to have a shout with it. And, you know, Florida state's chances took a bit of a hit, um, but it technically wasn't a conference game. So not the end of the world, but I really, I look at Pittsburgh as maybe the second best team in the ACC So I think they can actually cover, but like I said, I am not going higher than 21. Um, And then I'm going to take the under 50. I just don't see if, if Syracuse struggled to score against new NC, I think they're really going to struggle against um, uh, Pittsburgh, who is a much better defense and one betting trend. I did see not a reason really why I'm betting it, but just something I did see uh, Pittsburgh is seven and two seven, two and two in their last 11 games against the spread against Syracuse. What do you got for us, Josh?
0: Well, uh, in technical analysis, right? People argue technical analysis, fundamental analysis because I have securities licenses and we use business and financial concepts to bet on these games uh, and teach you financial literacy, right? So in technical in, in fundamental analysis, You analyze corporate governance, right? You analyze who's running the show. That's why we talk a lot about the coaches. I was always very, very impressed with Pat Narduce when he was the defensive coordinator at Michigan State. And people can make up their own opinions, but you cannot make up your own facts. Michigan State has not had the success they had then when Pat narducci was the defensive coordinator and they were going 11 and two, uh, they were beating Michigan and giving Ohio state a run for their money. Right. To the fact that D'Antonio is now fired. Now we have Max Brown who was, just, who was recruited by narducci and he's good friends with him now. And Max Brown started for Narducey in Pittsburgh. Uh, a few years ago, so being me, right, people with the best information win. Uh, one, one thing that very impressed me about Dr. First is that he's very precise. He works hard at researching, right, because people with the best information win. So before the interview, I said, Max, tell me about Pat narducci What am I doing? I'm studying the corporate governance of the Pittsburgh Panther team. He says he's a great guy. He says he's very, very organized. And Pat Narduce, Pittsburgh's hard. Pitt used to be a power. They won a national title with uh, Jackie Sherrill back in the day. They had Dan Marino. But they fell on hard times. And it's hard to recruit in the cold when you can go play in the south and the west and not deal with uh, things going on in Pittsburgh, right? So he sneaks into the ACC championship game, man. The man knows how to coach and the man knows how to build a roster he's a defensive genius right that's why he was a difference maker at Michigan State and Michigan State has not had the success they had then when Narducey was the defensive coordinator there uh, so what happened to Syracuse and Dino Beavers why are they this bad right Mac Brown goes in there one year and beats uh Baber and beats him bad. And they got the same budget. I mean, Syracuse won a national title with uh they have a Hall of Fame basketball coach. There's money there, there's money to recruit. He's not doing a good job as Nardius doing. Uh, I do think he'll cover the spread because he is, he runs that uh the air raid. So the air raid is gonna score points, keep things uh Babers is going to figure out uh, mistakes they made last week. But uh, I see this.
1: Uh, what, what's the over-under again? Um, it is 20 and a half. 21 and a half.
0: So the line is 21 and a half. Yeah, no, I'm going Baber. I mean, uh, he I, I read where there's some things going on With the quarterback uh, Babers knows how to score He knows how to do uh, more with less He wins the MAC title From Bowling Green Narduce uh, Doesn't want to cover the spread He wants to win the game He's a defensive guy So if he doesn't think they can't score And they're up 17-3 He's happy Right Because he's like He's a defensive guy. Oh, you guys aren't scoring on me. You guys are only scored three points, but we're going to shut you out. So, Narduccio beat you 17-0, right? He's a D'Antonio guy. So, I, that, that's a lot of points, right? And in, in, in a guy like Beavers, who didn't sleep all week, uh, trying to figure something out, to beat Pitt. And Pitt's uh, especially on defense, they're, they're a developmental program. They're not blue blood, right? Like they used to be where they can roll out talent. So they developed that defense. They're not world beaters on defense. So Bavers being an offensive guy, being a uh, Art Briles guy, all right? And that's the other thing. Art Briles didn't have the same success than when Dino Beavers was the offensive coordinator at Baylor. So Bavers is a it's a difference maker. He'll figure out a way not to get embarrassed, right? Pro teams usually don't get blown out twice. So I see, uh, I see Syracuse covering the spread and the over-under and Don Best for that game is 51 points. I see this going
1: way under, 51 Yeah, we agree there. Uh, we definitely agree on the um, over-under, uh, so under 50 in that one. The next game uh, to we're going to talk about is Tulsa and Oklahoma State. Uh, currently, Oklahoma State is 23-point uh, favorites in, uh, in a game they will obviously host at home. The over-under is 66. This was a game that was postponed uh, a week. It was supposed to happen last week. obviously COVID got in the way. Uh, Last year, these two teams did meet, um, and Oklahoma State absolutely gashed Tulsa for over 300 yards on the ground. Um, First, starting with Tulsa, they're uh, really, really going to struggle if they continue to keep up their discipline. They were 129th out of 130 teams last year when it came to penalties, so the nine offensive starters coming back maybe aren't a good thing, unless they've been, you know, properly uh, learned or properly taught the game of football. Uh, the one thing I will say, they the three big losses or the three toughest teams they had last year, uh, SMU, Memphis, and Central Florida. They lost by a combined ten points: six to SMU, only one to Memphis, who ended up going on to the Cotton Bowl, and uh, only three to S- Central Florida. So keep an eye on that. Um, Second-year Joe Gillespie has to replace seven of the top ten tacklers and their best defensive lineman, linebacker, and uh, defensive back. So uh, Tulsa is going to be targeting other teams in their conference. So I really don't think they're going to be too threatening. Now, this is a big line, though. So now looking at Oklahoma State, the first thing you look at is the running back position. It's Chubba, Hubbard, and unfortunately the reason um, I bring him up straight away is because I talk about what happened this off season with Mike Gundy wearing an OAN shirt on a fishing chip and Chuba Hubbard taking offense to that and pretty much censoring Mike, um, Mike Gundy. And he uh, um, threatened to boycott, threatened to quit the team. Uh, That was all ironed out. I believe it cost Mike Gundy a million dollars off of his paycheck so um, he has got it figured out. He has apologized and all that is going down. I do question maybe if there's chemistry problems, uh, is, it all, or is, is it all gone? Is there still residue there? Keep an eye on that. I really do think they're a bit, uh, they are a contender in the Big 12. They're ranked number 11 in the country currently. Now, um, when you do talk about a team that has uh, Heisman running back, it's gonna be difficult to kind of cover a lot of those big spreads. Um, unless they do just give up those big time home run balls. Um, Last year, Tulsa covered a lot. They had a plus three cover rate for me. Uh, And then Oklahoma, like I said, with a Heisman running back, it might be a slower pace. Also, Tulsa quarterback, um, let me get his name real quick. Um, Zach Smith is a Baylor transfer, so he knows the Big 12. He kind of knows how to go into those stadiums and get the job done. And the last reason I think it's going to be a, a cover for Tulane, or I'm sorry, Tulsa, is because, uh, let's face it, Oklahoma State's defense is not good. So if you're going to cover the 24 and a half, uh, you're going to really have to put some points up. And once again, If you're going to have to put that many points up, Chubba Hubbard's really going to have to get rolling. Is Mike Gundy going to run Chubba Hubbard 50 times to beat Tulsa by 30 points? No, I don't think so. So uh, take Tulsa plus 23. Um, In terms of the over-under, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to do a bit of a hedge, and I'm going to take the under only because if the game does go under, I think Oklahoma State blows them out, shuts them out, uh, and then we don't get a cover. Um, so that's just kind of the way I'm going to play if I absolutely had to do it uh, for this one. Josh, what about you?
0: Yeah, I, I like Philip Montgomery a lot. I mean, he, he keeps that job. His, he got the job at Tulsa to recruit Texas, state of Texas. And I thought that he was going to do a lot better than what he has done. I see them play every year. Uh, he, he always has an exciting, exciting offense. Uh, and he's not recruited as well, right? So when you're a coach, uh, the way you eva- evaluate, remember this fun- fundamental analysis, right? You look at the corporate governance of a company, the management team, to see if you're going to invest in that company or not. So the way you evaluate a, a football coach in college is you have to be able to recruit well. You have to have a staff or yourself that's a good XSNO strategy guy, right? <clears throat> and you have to be able to develop them, right? So uh, Nick Saban was the first one to pay uh, $800,000 to a strength and conditioning coach to develop players. And Curry Smart goes and backstabs Saban and pays the strength and conditioning coach in Georgia, right? A million dollars a year. So Philip Montgomery has not been able to recruit well in a state of Texas. Uh, the AAC is getting more money, so he's going to have more money for recruiting. He goes 2-10, and 3-8, 4-8. and, eight, four and eight. Whenever they played USF, they were always in the game. They were always well coached and they always had great strategy. They just don't have the players and the depth of players. Uh, they got nine people coming back on offense, four on defense. Uh, Tulsa, because of the oil money, they have a lot of money there. And they like them. And it's, it's interesting, both coaches are like, I mean, people, Boom Pickens put a billion dollars in that Oklahoma State program and people were like, oh, should we fire uh, Mullethead because X, Y, Z? And Boone Pickens said no, he ran that university. So he did a good job uh, networking with Boone Pickens and keeping that job. Same thing with Phil Montgomery, two and 10, three and eight, four and eight. The man has built and that's business. So he kept his million dollar job by building good relationships with the rich oil alumni at the University of Tulsa. So what, what does that tell me? It tells me this guy is a smart guy. So uh, again, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Because that running back, if he was at Nick Saban, the second he said that would have been, the next second would have been out the door. <laughs> Nick Saban would not, but uh, mullet man is a good guy, man. No good deed goes unpunished, right? He loses a million dollars by being nice. Uh, it goes to Greek uh, mythology, and again, and again, Don by showing kindness, I've often been the loser. So, you know, so it's one of those crazy things. Uh, the AAC is strong, good competition. The Big 12 hasn't covered any spreads, the only team that covered spread with the two big teams, uh, Oklahoma and Texas. And I'm covering Texas, and I'm going to intermingle it in the picks. Uh, Texas has a lot to prove, but they, they've handled COVID-19 well, and uh, they covered for once as a heavy favorite. Uh, Tom Herman took the cowardly approach. I don't know if so it's a cowardly approach. But uh, he's about to be fired, so he blamed it on the two coordinators, fired him. He has two good coordinators. They both uh, seem to be doing well. So that's Texas, and that's Oklahoma State's main rival. Uh, But uh, Coach wants to be Oklahoma. That's Bedlam, right? And he's almost done it, man. One of the greatest games every year is Bedlam. Oklahoma against Oklahoma State. So I think that the game's going over. Philip Montgomery is going to figure out a way uh, to cover these points. What are those points?
1: Uh, 23 as of the moment. Let me just check to see if there's been any movement. Um, excuse me. Nope, we are still yeah, at 23. Um, but, yeah, uh, we are uh, split on the over-under, but we definitely do agree on the cover for Tulsa. Now you got to put an
0: asterisk by mine because I'm a graduate from the University of South Florida and Tulsa is from the AAC and I always root for conference teams when they play out, out of conference because it makes us look better uh, if you get a win, right, against the Big 12.
1: Yeah. Next up is going to be, excuse me as I go find my notes, uh, South Florida and Notre Dame um, for this one. Uh, Josh, do you want to give us the analysis or do you want me to yeah, give an yeah, analysis? I'll give you the analysis. Okay, go
0: for it. Because there, there are two programs I follow uh, very closely. And I was bring the book, so people watching the live stream, this is the FINRA book, right? So I had to really memorize this book. This has a 60% failure rate. First time you take it right and i passed it because i know it but when i was looking at arbitrage studying for the test you can see where my mind goes and what i really am into and makes me excited and happy i was like simultaneous purchase and sale of the same or related securities to take advan- advantage of a market inefficiency right that's why you bet 10 games because the highest certainty you can have is 80%. So uh, you look at Notre Dame and you look at USF, Very, uh, from a management standpoint, very similar, right? You have Charlie Weiss Jr., whose dad used to be the head coach at Notre Dame. And he ran a very, very unique, creative offense at FAU, with uh, Lame Kiffin, who is the head coach at Mississippi. He's going to call his own plays. He's going to be his own offensive coordinator in Mississippi. And he didn't take uh, Charlie Weiss Jr. with him. Uh, Jeff Scott, he recruited DeAndre Hopkins. He recruited Deshaun Watson. And he recruited Hunter Renfro. Now, Hunter Renfro is very exciting to me because Hunter Renfro was a zero star. He goes to Clemson, Coach Scott coaches him up, and boom, what? He got drafted, what, in the second round? Second first round with the Raiders? So he takes a zero star, Hunter Renfro, puts him on the field, wins a national championship with him, right? So not only does he recruit the, uh, the, the the Sean Watsons and the DeAndre Hopkins, he recruits the Hunter Renfros. So we look forward to USF football having a bunch of Hunter Renfros uh, running around now coach Charlie strong coach USF was a horrible strategist he was a he he's, he's a good XSNO and o guys on defense but he had no idea about offense and I think that could be the problem with Dino Beavers too Dino Beavers is a genius on offense but he knows nothing about defense and he's getting out recruited in the ACC level uh, however coach strong while being a, a genius on defense uh, was also noted for being a very, very good judge of talent and a very good recruiter. Right. So we were in the top 50 in recruiting, which is good for USF, but Willie Taggart with, you know, the DeAndre Johnson, uh, Marlon Mack days, we were top 25 in recruiting, but, uh, Charlie Strong is a great judge of talent. So that defense of USF uh, is going to be a legitimate defense. Uh, Notre Dame has bigger fish to fry than USF, right? Uh, it's a big line. In, in 95% of people lack the capacity to change or admit that they're wrong. So after a couple bad years at Notre Dame, Brian Kelly did what 95% of people can't do. He changed. He went from a wide open offense to now more ball control offense. He puts the team in the right position to win. He didn't say, oh, I won three national championships. Uh, I took Notre Dame to a uh, title game against Alabama. I'm not going to change. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing now. The man changed. They run a different style of ball. So when Notre Dame is up by 14, they're really up 28. Uh, they put an emphasis on the defense. They pay more money for the defensive coordinator now. And the, one of the big changes was he overhauled the conditioning program in Notre Dame, right? They're bigger, stronger, faster. And that's what Clay Helton needed to do. So Asmus, uh, the, the guy at USC now, he gets paid 600 grand. And he, used to, uh, he was with Coach O in Mississippi, it's a strength and conditioning coach for USC. And that was in response to Notre Dame uh, paying their guy as much as uh, Nick Saban is. But nobody's paid a you know, million dollars like Kirby Spark. But that was to pull him from the old boss, Nick Saban, who he hates. So Notre Dame, I feel uh, it's going to be the physically stronger team. i very excited about Coach Scott. And, again, he's one of those guys – that if he was a preacher, you would leave your wallet at home. Man, he can recruit, right? Immediately at USF, he makes an impact. And USF can get better faster because of the transfer portal. So there's a bunch of guys uh, who can play, who are now on USF. Uh, The quarterback, McLeod, he's lights out. Uh, He's always hurt. He never plays a full game. But they got uh, a legit guy from North Carolina that was recruited by Fedora in Klan who can play, right? Uh, we have a great offensive line. It, Florida, again, is a top recruiting state, right? They're 1-2 with California, Texas, Ohio, New Jersey, Louisiana. So 1 through 100 in each position uh, is a Division One prospect and with uh, Jim Levitt we used to get a random four or five star then with Skip Holtz we got nothing Uh, Willie Taggart he gets Tom Allen who can recruit he gets Marlon Mack and coach Scott has some really good talent in there coach Strong did the same so the talent, it isn't the, the talent mismatch that Vegas wants to portray it because you have a public team here, right? Now, there's people, Notre Dame alumni, who are going to bet millions of dollars or going to put $500,000 on Notre Dame blindly because they went to Notre Dame and now they have 100 million and they got money to burn and they just bet blindly in Notre Dame. They probably break even. So these lines are skewed. And for many years, I've made money on – like that we do in the NFL with West Coast inflated lines. Notre Dame always has an inflated line, especially those national championship games (laughs) where people pay – you know, that was easy money, right, They in the playoff. That was easy money. So, for that and many reasons, uh, who knows, right? I don't know. I'm biased. I'm going to overestimate – USF. I I allow my liberties with that, but I haven't bet a USF game ever. Our program is only 26 years old. Uh, So I I don't think there were even lines for USF 12 years ago. So we've gone a long way fast as a program. Uh, Jeff Vinnick, the owner of Tampa Bay Lightning, took the university to a next level, uh, dropping down a billion dollars in the school and building a medical school. So this is an important game for the program as far as getting in the top 64. The next thing is you're gonna break up the conferences, they're gonna be 64. And we wanna push out the Iowa State, Oregon States of the world uh, and get that spot. So this is a big game. Uh, There's gonna be a lot of game planning involved. Uh, It's not a coaching mismatch. In Notre Dame, it's like Narduzzi, right? Notre Dame doesn't want to blow out USF. They just want to beat them by a couple of touchdowns.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, it might definitely might not be a coaching mismatch, but in terms of um, continuity, uh, I think it's completely on the opposite end of the spectrum. Obviously, you have Brian Kelly, who has been at Notre Dame for some time now. He is seven wins away from 100 at uh, Notre Dame. Um, and then for uh, Jeff Scott, and his staff everybody's new um and no matter what it, it's just difficult to kind of get a handle on these guys even you know the first couple of weeks when all this craziness was going down just to get a handle on these guys through zoom and stuff like that so i do think usf will be maybe at a bit of a disadvantage there uh one thing i do want to bring up is um special teams coach uh daniel DePrado. he's coming from arkansas Last year, USF had uh, was ranked 126 out of 130 on special team. Uh, special, tell teams me about important.
0: it. And I suffered through that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, I mean, literally, new off a new head coach, new offensive coordinator, new no defense, new defensive coordinator, and new special teams coach. Uh, a ton of turnover now. This is going to piggyback off of what Josh talked about with um, the you know the alumni and all that. I honestly think it's more money who's on people whose favorite movie is Rudy. Honestly, uh, there are people that love Notre Dame because of that movie or little things like that. Um, but let me just give you a couple stats to really just show you um, where we are in terms of uh, their overinflated lines. Over the last 10 years, um, they've won 27 more games o- uh, overall than again, against the spread. So. Uh, they, they've lacked their ability to cover 27 times in 10 years. Um, and also one more, where did it go? Um, oh, since 1997, Notre Dame has outperformed their preseason ranking only once. I mean, we're talking about 24 years here, folks. Um, the only time they did that was the year uh, Manta, uh, no, wasn't Manta Teo's year, excuse me. Uh, it was 2018 when they finished the year ranked Number five, uh, I think they were 12 to start the year. So that just kind of goes to show how how the blind money comes in. And now you also kind of throw in the fact that last year, or excuse me, last week, Notre Dame was not impressive. Um, very, very um, average to say the least. I think this is as easy a pick as you can get um, this, this year or this week, I should say, USF plus 25 um all day if honestly if if jeff scott had been there a year uh and this staff wasn't all fully new and it wasn't kind of the weird off season that it was um i i would entertain a 2 dollar money line bet that's just uh myself and look i'll put my hands up as well and say i'm not nearly as biased as josh is on usf but i am biased towards notre dame and it's the opposite i hate notre dame um as a USC fan, uh, they are kind of the opposite of what, you know, I, I, I cheer for. And um, so I am a bit biased there. But all those stats I just talked to you about in terms of the lack of covers and their inability to outperform their uh, preseason ranking or expectations, if you will, those are not biased. Those are facts. Uh, we talk about no, uh, can't make up your own opinions um, or you can't make up your own facts. Excuse me. You can have your own opinions you can't make... That's what I mean. So I might be biased about Notre Dame, but those stats I gave you about their blind money going their way and their inability to cover, um, that's, those are facts. Uh, in terms of the over-under, look, I am all on board with USF um, plus 25 all day. I'd actually even take the money you'd want to take on the over-under and double down on the USF. If you're holding a gun to my head and you say, hey, you have to take a pick on the 48 and a half, I'd have to say over um, I, I do really, and I saw the same thing that Josh did. Um, obviously, he's seen um, both uh, Jordan Mc- uh, McLeod, who is a Tampa Bay um, kid as well, and Cade Fortin, um, who did follow Larry Federa- Fedora over from U.S. Uh, U.N.C. If they can get a uh, figure that out, whether it's a dual threat type of thing or one guy gets it and they ride him and it works, whatever they got to do to figure that out. That would be great um, if, it could, if it works. If they get it figured out this week, it's definitely going over. Um, it's, it's tough for me. I'm not really going to tell you to bet one way or the other. Um, but like I said, if you hold a gun to my head one way or another, um, I would have to go over just because 48 and a half is a bit well, This is the
0: thing. This is the thing. And it was very interesting watching the game last week. Uh, Ian Book. Because before this, – this is a COVID game, right? Uh, Texas felt it was in their best interest to give us or give the university $2 million rather than to play USF. His Tom Herman, coached at Houston, he knows that him, you know, blaming his coordinators for his problems, playing USF the first game of the season might not be a good idea, right? Uh, so, Uh, Charlie Weiss, senior, still has great relationships at Notre Dame. They put this game together. Uh, Ian Book, but before this game was put together, I was having arguments with Notre Dame people telling me how great Ian Book is. So they're up by two touchdowns against Duke. They're, They're pinned in their own end zone, and it's third and eight. And they went with a very conservative play right? That tells me Brian Kelly's a different man now. He has a two touchdown lead. He's not going to put his defense in a bad position. As good as Ian Book is supposed to be, I don't think he's that great. He's supposed to, he to be, supposed to, he reminds me of Paulus, right? He's supposed to win all these Heisman trophies. Ian Book this, Ian Book that. I haven't seen it, but there's a lot of hype on the guy. So usually a coach would back up the guy. Uh, the guy is an experienced quarterback. He would let him throw right on third and seven, third and eight from his own end zone. He didn't do that. That very conservative play. I see them doing the same thing against USF, they're up by a couple touchdowns. They're not, and then USF did not try to blow up the Citadel gel last week. Uh, they ran it a lot. And one thing for people watching, just for the enjoyment of the game, uh, these two guys one is 5'11 and the other guy is, I think, it's. He's 5'4, five, 5'5. Five, five. Ford and Bentley Sanders, those guys run 4'2s. Th- and the Citadel would not uh, punt to us and they would not give us kickoffs because those guys are so fast. And uh, Bentley Sanders uh, ran back two kickoffs when USF beat Georgia Tech. And a fun fact that people will not know that the last time, USF went to South Bend. USF came out of there with a win. And of course, it's funny. Every time we beat a big program, we beat Auburn. Uh, they fired Culverville after we beat them. Uh, when USF beat uh, Florida State, Bobby Bowden retired. And then when we beat Notre Dame, <laughs> uh, Brian Kelly changes his whole coaching philosophy. <laughs> You used to U.S.F. Your big program, Uh, the alumni don't take it well, but yeah, that's more you ever wanted to know about the Notre Dame University of South Florida there. But taking emotion out of there, there might be some value, right? Might be some value in this football game.
1: I think there's a ton of value. Like I said, I think this is that's the easiest cover of the week. Um, Apparently, it's going to take. Vegas a couple weeks to figure out that those big spreads for Notre Dame um, don't really uh, play out. But moving on to the next game. But they make
0: money because 70% of the people take the line. They're laughing
1: all the way to the bank. Yep. Uh, The next one is Appalachian State, which is ranked number 23. Uh, They are uh, five-point favorites against Marshall in Marshall. Uh, 59.5 is the over-under um, the last time these two teams faced, it was 2002. And let's be honest, both teams, a lot of things have changed since then. Obviously, Appalachian State, second best of the rest, if you will, um, last year. In terms of uh, the coaching matchup, you have, of course, Doc Holiday and uh, Sean Clark, who despite being now the third different head coach in three years for app state, you know, some of these teams have struggles keeping players Uh, app. States having trouble keeping their coaches is the third year in a row. They've had to replace their coach. Um, So, He's been with the program for a couple years now, so there is still that continuity. But, of course, we do have Marshall head coach Doc Holliday, who has been at Marshall for quite some time. And despite winning eight games last year, um, it was still a bit of a letdown. A bit more was expected. And to kind of exploit – or not exploit, um, but to kind of magnify that, they um, went eight and four. But against the spread, they went four and eight. So uh, they're not covering the games they should and even at sometimes losing games they should – so keep an eye there. Now, 126 starts do return on the offensive line, and you would hope that the 28 sacks do drop um, because last year Isaiah Green um, he played well until the weather came. It was very odd. I kind of looked some stuff up, and in you know, in, in clear weather, it's all good, but the last three or four games were in. You know, and he plays in West Virginia. So, you know, October, November, you're not exactly hoping or not exactly expecting sunshine and all that. Um, I do think it's early enough to where we don't have to worry about the weather yet. Um, but for me, Appalachian State is a really, really good football team. Obviously come a long way since they uh, shocked Michigan. And they built on that. Eight starters are returning from a team that's averaged uh, 39 points a game last year. Or la- yeah, last year. And they've already uh, gotten a win over UNC Charlotte. They won by 15 points. uh, They outgained the minors 528 to 280. Um, But I will say, just to be fair, um, now this isn't an inflated line, but App State is prone to get inflated lines and not cover, and just to show you that is last year they had a minus four cover rate and in the last 10 years uh, they've actually had a minus 48 so that's a very very high number now once again this isn't a inflated line in my mind I think these are two really good teams Um, it is in West Virginia uh, uh, Huntington where uh, Marshall's located I'm gonna take Appalachian State by the half point um, to get it to four and a half Uh, I also like the over of 59 and a half. And I like it for two reasons. The Marshall um, offensive line, the experience, I think they'll be able to score with Appalachian state. And another reason the Appalachian state defense has to replace five of its top six tacklers. Uh, We already kind of talked about how tackling might be maybe a little bit Lackadais- or maybe not ago, but just you haven't had that time to do it in the offseason. So um, I like Appalachian State minus four and a half on the road uh, and over 59 and a half against Marshall, who I think is a very, very good team and will compete in the conference. Um, I just really like Appalachian State this year.
0: Yeah, no, no, perfect analysis. Perfect analysis on that. I love Doc Holiday, Guys that do more. More would last, even though Marshall, you know, we are Marshall. Uh, it's a very poor state, right? Not, not a lot of resources. And like Sean Elliott didn't bat an eyelash. He goes in there. He used to be uh, an s- offensive line coach for Florida State under Bobby Bount. When, when that program came out, and remember, uh, up until the early 60s, Florida State was a girls' school. And they did not win anything until Bobby Bowden and Doc Holliday got over there. And one of the perks of being on the basketball team at Lakewood high is that you, you escorted the coaches to go get the recruits. And he recruited William Floyd, who's now the color commentator at Florida state. And I let in coach Holliday and he's one of those guys, man. Uh, you never know, right? He, he's up, right? But when, when he's your coach, it's like he doesn't know you anymore and he beats you to death. And we, I talked to Dr. First about this a lot. I come from a different era where we didn't mind getting uh, beat up. And he, he beats things up. So I don't know. This could be a very close game. Uh, like uh, Dr. First saying, it could be a field goal game. I feel it, it probably will be a field goal game. So they could cover. But he spun on, on the over, uh, the lack of tackling. and the people missing from the Appalachia State uh, defensive defensive guys coming back. So they don't have experience. So if you have an experienced team, maybe COVID-19 doesn't do anything, but COVID-19
1: will if you haven't
0: played.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Next up is Central Florida. Uh, They will head to Atlanta to take on Uh, The Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets Central Florida is seven and a half point favorites. The over under is 62 and a half. Georgia Tech leads the series 3-0. The last meeting was in 2000. So once again, a lot has changed. Georgia Tech, obviously, I talked earlier in the uh, podcast about upsetting Florida State in Tallahassee last week. For Central Florida head coach Josh Heupel is in year three after taking over from Scott Frost. He is 22 and four, but he did lose three games last year. Um, they also last year had a negative four cover rate quarterback Mackenzie Milton is back. He's on the um, depth chart. Now, unfortunately uh, sophomore Dylan Gabriel really took over last year and uh, turned heads. He's expected to be the starter. Now also The Knights have former Notre Dame starter Brandon Wimbush there as well. So, uh, you also have eight starters elsewhere returning. A very veteran quarterback room. Got to be a pretty competitive quarterback competition as well. The O line does have only 62 starts returning, but I kind of think the quarterbacks, at least the veteranness of the quarterbacks, I don't know if veteranness is a word, but, or the veteran attitude of the. uh, offensive or the, of the quarterbacks will maybe help that a little bit. Um, eight starters on the defense return, but the best part about it is 12 of the 13 top tacklers return. So you're getting a lot of production back, whether um, uh, they were on the field to start the game or not. And we got to remember it's Randy Shannon, former Miami head coach, really good defensive coordinator. Uh, he gets plenty of experience back from 20, uh, a team that allowed 23 points a game now. I do want to point out. We talk about targeting uh, and things like that. I think the Knights are going to try and win the um, AC or the AAC. So I really don't think this was a targeting game for University uh, UCF um, against Georgia Tech. And speaking of Georgia Tech, obviously, look. 438 to 307 was the outgained to Florida state. And if it wasn't for quarterback Jeff Sims throwing a couple uh picks to Asante Samuel jr. Like I said, this game could have been gone a lot different um, and uh, defensively 10 starters returned for Georgia tech talk, uh, talk about, talk to Florida state about that defense coming back. They held them to only 13 points. And while, Florida state is not a dominant offense of old, like they used to be, they were expected to be a top four team in the pack or in the ACC. And I, I bring everyone's kind of knowledge to temple, uh, former temple head coach, Jeff Collins, it's year number two for him. And really it's been him and his entire uh, staff that he's brought from temple that have turned course. I, I brought up, It's kind of the analogy we talk about maybe an offense going from a balanced attack to the spread. That's one thing, but, This is a team that's going from the wishbone to the spread. That's like driving a tractor trailer to then driving a formula one car. So a lot has been figured out and they've gotten some pretty big, well, they've gotten some nice wins and some really good performances in the first 15 games uh, under Jeff Collins and his staff that he pretty much brought from Temple in terms of this game. I, I just think central Florida's overall talent is going to be enough. Georgia tech maybe a bit of a um, uh, overfeeling themselves or overconfidence um, after upsetting this uh, after upsetting Florida state i actually really like the under here um, i the under 62 and a half i know georgia tech scored points i mean 16 Last week, uh, they're probably going to struggle maybe against certain elements of what UCF is going to throw at them. Won't be a crazy emptying the playbook. I see the score being around 38-13 to Central Florida. So, obviously, that will be uh, plenty for both the cover and the under of uh, 62.5 Central Florida, minus 6.5. That's where I'm going. Josh, what are your thoughts?
0: Right. I I can't bet USF games – or UCF, you can't finish university games because uh, they're our rival. Uh, Tony Mejia, one of the best interviews we got, legendary uh, handicapper. When he found out, when he saw the alumni thing from USF, he almost didn't want to do the interview. I had to talk him into it. And it happens a lot, where it, usually it's non-sports people, uh, UCF, USF people, they don't do, they don't even do business with each other. Uh, You know, we're all Americans, right? You know, I always talk my way out, but we we do go heated, but no die Study that program uh, very, very closely. Now, the assistant head coach at Georgia Tech is a guy who did a lot of damage to USF, a guy by the name of Brent K. He comes from uh, Alabama. He's a hell of a coach, hell of a recruiter. Uh, I mean, Michael Kelly, the athletic director USF. USF, uh, we, we got hosed last year. Uh, we were clearly over the goal line. And uh, the refs went against, and they were ACC refs. So I sent a line, right, because I used to be a tutor there. I know who to talk to the the AD. And I said, why did you have ACC reps? And he apologized to me. I'm like, then I felt bad. I'm like, Oh, I'm just some guy. Don't apologize to me. Come on. <laughs> but they shouldn't have had ACC reps. And that's the only, we, we beat up Georgia tech physically up and down the field. And they is just Charlie strong. Who's a horrible strategist. So that shows you defensive guys. They're not into strategy. We're going to out tough you. You know what we're going to do. And we're going to just out athletic you. That's, and that's uh, Jeff Collins, right? He was a defensive coordinator for Florida. He's a defensive guy. Uh, Josh Heupel knows offense, right? He won a national title as a quarterback at uh, Oklahoma. Then becomes offensive coordinator. He knows you put that guy in the NFL, right, from UCF. Uh, Again, Speed State, There's a every position is about 100 deep in Florida. And you want to get in the top 10, right? Uh, the top five are going to go to Florida State. Florida, Miami, but you want to get number six. So we fight for number six, uh, the Shaquille twins, to my chagrin from Lakewood High, where I went to, they go to UCF, you can't finish. So we fight for those guys. And uh, Brent K is good at that. Uh, So Hypo has to win this game if he wants to compete with us to be in that top 64, right? When uh, college football realigns, Uh, you can't finish, wants to be that cut. So this is a big game for that. So UCF did not play last week. UCF, uh, Georgia Tech did, but it was a conference game. Are they going to be beat up? Because even though they suck at defense, they are physical specimens. And it was in the heat, man. The heat takes a lot out of you. And uh, UCF knows how to deal with... The Heat, so it's bittersweet. Um, Nothing more than I would love for Georgia Tech to embarrass you can't finish university, but uh, you can't finish returns eight on offense and eight on defense. So Josh Hypo, man, it's tough. Scott Frost came into UCF and he recruited the lights out. And he really got that, uh, them going after we used to blow them out every year. And uh, we were a lucky player, too, or bad strategy for Strongly Strong, of uh, beating him anyways. So uh, take that what you will. Uh, the over-under, I agree with it being under because uh, Jeff Collins is a great defensive coach. And it's not that run and shoot air raid that he runs. It's not a uh, run and gun offense. It's, it's a ball control offense. You can't finish. Uh, does, and they got a lot of depth. They haven't played. They're fresh. You, you can't finish might have an advantage in the fourth quarter. But Josh Heifel has to prove himself because I think the, the program is not as good as it was when they had the first guy, when Brent Kay was there and they had the old guy who lied on his resume to get to Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame isn't gonna do any fat (laughs) (laughs) trick. Oh yeah, I had a master's degree. But then he did a great job at uh, UCF and got lucky and beat us once. We beat him any other time. And then uh, program goes down, Scott Frost comes in and they're not as good, right? They're not as good. They beat Baylor, uh, they beat whoever, but then Coach O gets them. So let's see what happens. It's going to be a great game.
1: And uh, last up is Miami, uh, number 17, at Louisville, number 18. At the moment, um, Louisville is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 65. Uh, both these teams are already 1-0, and and oddly enough, even though both these teams are in the ACC on the original schedule that came out, or well, the pre-COVID schedule, um, these teams weren't actually slated to play each other. So uh, keep that in mind. So I, I, I think that it's pretty much impossible for these teams to be targeting one another. And it'll be clear why I bring that up here in a moment. But uh, starting with Miami, they obviously... Uh, beat UAB and they outgained them 492 to 285, uh, winning 31 to 14. Manny Diaz will need to improve on a six and seven season, um, but I do think they'll have the confidence knowing they beat Louisville 52 to 27 last year in one of their only, you know, probably their best performance of the year was that game. They also have quarterback to Eric King who. Let's be honest. I mean, his year at Houston two years ago was pretty crazy. Where he uh, accounted for almost he he accounted for over five thousand yards uh, in his debut for the Hurricanes. He had uh, over two hundred yards total, with eighty of those coming on the ground. Um, I also look at Cameron Harris, who averaged eight yards a carry with one hundred thirty-four yards and two touchdowns uh, against UAB. Now, obviously, Louisville a a bit. of a different animal than UAB, but we're also not talking about, you know, the greatest defense ever constructed. You know, there are definitely some holes with Louisville. Looking at the defensive side of things for Miami, Manny Diaz ended up taking over the defensive coordinator duties after a loss to Virginia Tech. Um, he's now given the reins over to two men, uh, Blake Baker, who was the defensive coordinator for Louisiana Tech the last four years, and Ephraim Bandom, those two are going to, and I'm sure with some input from Manny Diaz, run that defense. Uh, I will say, um, going back to when Manny Diaz was the defensive coordinator there, the big thing was the turnover chain. They were in double digits and plus turnover ratio for some time. That's fallen off. Uh, they need to get back to that. Looking at Louisville, they defeated Western Kentucky 35 to 21 last week. Um, it wasn't it, uh, an incredibly fascinating win or anything like that. Uh, the Cardinals, once again, you would think, look, if this game was on the schedule pre COVID, I believe they would have targeted Miami because of that 52 to 27. I just don't think they had the opportunity now. Uh, obviously they game plan for him. They are game planning for them. As we speak head coach, Scott Satterfield um, went eight and five in his first year. I look at Mikhail Cunningham, the quarterback he performed well um, in the beginning or in the opening game. The best part about his game though, is he finished the game. That was his biggest problem last year when he could not finish football games. Um, running back Jav- Javion Hawkins had over 1,500 yards in his uh, first year at the collegiate level, so um, he did struggle last week to get into a rhythm. Only 3.7 yards per carry, uh, so we'll, we'll see how the defense fares as it has to improve on uh, 44 and 33 points a game points <laughs> points per game allowed. So we'll see how that goes. I think uh, defensive coordinator Brian Brown wants that number to be closer to 20, not 34. But overall, look, I like Miami on the money line here. I really like the run game of Miami, whether it's Derrick King or it's uh, Cameron Harris. One of the other, I think they're really going to take advantage of that. And I also really... Um, like the under 65 and a half here is because Manny Diaz, the fact that Manny Diaz took the defensive reins away mid season after a loss to Virginia tech, that shows me that look in the middle of a game, he's not going to, he won't be afraid to, you know, say, all right, guys, you know, look at me, I'm going to be the one making the calls. I think he will keep that under. um, And I think Louisville's offense is overrated Um, We're going to see what happens, but I really like Miami on the money line. I really like the run game between Cameron Harris and Eric King um, in that situation. And the Miami defense is also really good with the defensive coach. Give me the under all day, especially when it's 65 and a half. All
0: right. So uh, the Miami Hurricanes, I've followed them all my life and I'm following them for the podcast. Again, got to put an asterisk by this pick. Uh, I'm a big fan of Cuban coaches. Uh, Manny Diaz's dad was mayor of Miami. But it's countered by nepotism. There's a lot of nepotism. Charlie Weiss Jr. gets the offensive coordinator job. He gets the head coaching job in Miami. Uh, last week, Louisville played Tyson Helton in Western Kentucky. More, more nepotism there. Uh, Bobby Petrino did not do a good job coaching Louisville. And uh, the guy who's come in, he's done a great job getting this team back. Uh, Coach Sudfield uh, did a great job at Appalachia State. So he knows how to do less with more. And I know Dr. First is tired of me saying this, so I'll let him say it. What's my statistic about running quarterbacks?
1: Uh, if you pick up three first downs or more with your legs, you're going to win 30, uh, 75% of the time. But can I counter that with something, though? I feel like in the col- I feel like that's more prevalent in the NFL game. It might still happen, obviously, in the college game. But I feel like 60 70% of teams have a quarterback that fits that bill. So then what happens when two of them come together?
0: Right, right. Uh, but uh, Jim Mora... Another nepotism guy who's a coach of the NFL. He used that for uh, UCLA being better with Brent Huntley on the college lot. So that's more. But he got fired. So, hey. Uh, but DeAndre King broke my heart, man. Uh, Tom Allen and Willie Taggart had that uh, great team at USF. Uh, we, were, we were undefeated. And DeAndre King ran all over, over us with Applewhite. apple white. He's had some great coaching, right? He goes from Tom Herman to Applewhite. Now he has Rhett Lashley. And uh, Manny Diaz, his dad's a manager, mayor of town. Great job uh, getting Lashley, paying him a million dollars, handing him the keys to the offense. He's the one with Jos Zant that won a national championship with Cam Newton. So, uh, yeah, I think Miami has a coaching advantage. They're going to win the game. And uh, I agree it's going to be under. All right. So it's going to be Miami on the money line plus three. Get that point because you never know what's going to happen. And definitely under the 65. uh, 65 65.5. All right. Uh, We are 75% for the season. And those are your picks for tonight. All right. Uh, a lot of analysis, 75% is phenomenal. Uh, people who charge money, charge your hard earned money, uh, are 59%. Uh, the owner of your Carolina Panthers, it's a hedge fund manager making $3 billion, was at 59%. Remember, you make, let's see, any comments out there? Does Bama cover against Missouri this week? No, they probably won't. Uh, coaches, uh, and I'll scroll up for the – and I apologize for that. We haven't been looking uh, at the comments. I just happened to see that one. But, no, they, they won't cover. Uh, Missouri has a great coach. First game of the season. Uh, there isn't that great talent disparity. And remember, a 14-point lead for Coach Saban is like 100 points. And believe me, he has bigger fish to fry during the season. He hides plays for Auburn. He's going to hide plays for teams he thinks are a threat. So, and they're breaking in uh, a new quarterback. So don't look for Alabama to cover, but look for a uh, defensive performance uh, from your Alabama Crimson Tide. The scroll thing isn't working let me know if you have any other questions we have time tonight any questions out there as we close for the evening we do 10 for arbitrage uh it's esbc betting podcast put put it in any podcast network uh our website is ecosystems business concierge you can reach us there and if you have a question or comment you can always call and leave a message or send a text to 858-863-6501. All right. Uh, any more questions out there? Yeah, Bama does not cover, and the game will go under. And remember, Alabama's an inflated line, and people don't know this, but the state that bet that bets the most money is the state of Alabama. Alright, so uh, we make, we always close with Winston Churchill. You make a living from your labor, but you make your life from what you give. Thank you for being on the stream, asking questions. And we'll be back next week. Uh, we've got the big NFL podcast on Thursdays and then college football on Friday. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, mine is at J O S U E V I Z as in Zulu C A Y on Twitter. Uh, we give out picks, we give out information, and we have a good time because betting on games is one of those few activities where we have camaraderie, where we share information, we share laughs, and we have fun watching games, but we're making money. Remember, 52.5% is break even. We're at 70 to 80%. Right now, we started the season 75%. All right. Have a good night. Uh, Look forward to seeing you next week. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it is free, it's a podcast that I use, and they really do a good job for us here at the GFSN Betting and Team Report Podcast, it helps us make 70 to 80% of your bets. Now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started, my brothers. The
1: best there is.